Mom podcast. We're three generations of moms who've experienced nearly every season of motherhood. Of course, we don't have all the answers, but you can be sure that we'll always point you to the one who does. We're pouring a cup of coffee and we're chatting motherhood today. Pull up a chair. We're really glad you're here. Recently, Kate September and I had the privilege of hosting a Q&A panel at the Teach Them Diligently convention in Pigeon Forge, Tennessee, and the room was packed with moms eager to ask us some really hard questions, most of which I kind of tried to defer to the other ladies about mothering and faith and homeschool, discipleship, and so much more. And unfortunately, because of time, we weren't able to tackle all of the questions And there were several that were quite universal that we thought would be beneficial to discuss here in a more public way. So that's what we hope to do in this episode. Return to that stack of questions and do our best to answer them as if we were all still sitting down together, mothers in real time. Please know as we start today that the answers to many of these questions could make entire episodes in and of themselves. Today, we're going to be limited for the sake of time, the time frame of one show, and we'll only be giving you kind of the short answers, the sound bites, if you will. But in the show notes, we'll also be pointing you to some past shows that dive deeper into some of these topics. All that to say, as in the live Q&A, we're shooting from the hip today with no preparation or background. We don't know all the nuances behind the questions, nor your specific set of circumstances. So we invite you to take our thoughts as a gentle invitation to explore further on your own. Ladies, are you ready? Mm-hmm. Ready. Exciting. Okay. So here's our first question. I'm going to lob it out and either one of you can chime in. Here's your question. By the time my husband gets home from work some days, I'm mentally and emotionally spent. How can I make sure that I have enough me left for him and not turn into a crazy lady? I love that, Jamie. Now, my husband works at home, so I don't have that same issue. But I think it it really is a matter of taking some time for me. I've got to take that time during the day, in the morning, typically for me, because I have to remind myself who I am, who I'm supposed to be as a wife. For me, it's guarding my tongue. I tend to be one that just shoots from the hip, as you said before, who just shoots out of my mouth and then I'm having to repent and ask forgiveness. I don't want to be that way. Well, my husband and I over the years, I mean, it was an evolving process for us to discover who is going to be responsible for the kids when my husband gets home. So I think that was the first piece that we had to discover. So is it a handoff? Is it a trade-off? Is it a joint effort? Do I give him space? Do I get space? And so we came up with our own system, things that I knew I needed when he would get home. And for us, the best thing that worked was that I would actually step out of parenting, homemaking, and even wife role for a little bit to reset, whether that meant to finally get my shower or go for a walk. And because I can't switch a light switch on my mode of being wife, mom, homeschool, homemaker, and I work to do as well. So he, we came into agreement that for in our home, I would just kind of step out of the role, reset and step back in. And he would take over for a while things. And then we would rejoin in the capacity that we had for each other. Yeah. To echo that September, I would call that sort of like a the drive home reset. You know, when I worked outside of the home, I had a short drive between my place of work to my home to sort of like slough off the emotions and the 
the weight of the day in order to step into my home with a new renewed vision and excitement and passion for this this other part of my life. And now that I'm a stay-at-home mom, homeschooling mom, I don't have that drive home. So when my kids were really little, I had to be really intentional to find sort of a drive home activity. And for me, that was the time that I set aside for my kids to watch one afternoon show. So I saved that like the little chocolate that you reserve for special occasions. I saved that one show for just after the school day. We wrapped up homeschooling just before my husband got home. I would put on one show for them to sit and watch for 30 minutes so that I could, you know, slough off the chaos of the day, go throw on some lipstick, lipstick if that made me feel better. Do something just for me to sort of reset my mind, recalibrate and have that like drive home experience so that I could greet my husband without like the laundry list of I need you to do X, Y, Z. And this happened today and sort of word vomiting at him when he walked through the door. All right. Here's our next question, ladies. How do you combat poor attitudes about learning in the homeschool day? I think a lot of our attitudes come from the inner character. It's not just a a poor attitude toward books and learning. I think whether you homeschool or send your kids off to school, they're going to have a poor attitude no matter what if they have a poor attitude. So I think a few things, though, that we've done to combat that are to prepare the night before and saying tomorrow we're going to be doing X, Y, Z in our homeschool or when you go to school, they're going to be doing this. And so let's talk about the things that might discourage you. You might um, encounter that frustrate you or that you don't want to do. And what are we going to do in those moments? So like I always like to go to the root of things. So that would be one of the areas. I also think we have to think about ourselves as moms, like homeschool moms. If we're talking about homeschooling, sometimes we have poor attitudes about homeschooling. And how do we combat that? Because our kids are just kind of really picking up on our culture setting in our homes. And so I like to think of myself as a trendsetter. So whatever attitude I bring into the day is the attitude and the culture and atmosphere of my home. So I think it all begins with us. To follow that up, here's another one that I, here's another question that I think sort of piggybacks off of that one. Can you speak to the importance of being called to being a wife and mother to girls who want that? but who hear society telling them that a motherly call is unimportant. I think it's important for us as moms in our homes today and that the younger generation is being called to be a wife and a mom to girls, that instead of thinking about society telling our girls that a motherly call is unimportant, I think that we need to begin with what they see in us. Like, are we the ones representing being a wife and a mom at home is a positive thing. Are we making this so negative for them, complaining, discouraging, disparaging to the point where they don't want that, where the next generation just sees that as woe is me. It's so hard. I mean, I've seen nothing positive. So I think it begins with us first. Like we, we really need to reflect on the words we say, our actions and our attitudes in the home and those that are watching us and not just for the sake of them watching us, but really what is our heart attitude ourselves? Because there's no taking away from the fact that it's hard, but not all things are hard have to be bad. And so I feel like this is such an important calling that it's important for us to put a worthy value and weight on it that people want this. Girls want this, not just are stuck doing it. 
Right. Why would they see it as something of worth or value when all they hear from us is complaining and 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 sort of pointing to the fact that we are now victims of the children that we're mothering who would want to emulate that if if that's all they hear. I think too we have to live in the tension, you know, I I'm all for it. And I know, Kate, and September, just seeing how you raise your daughters, I feel like I can speak to this and say that you would be in agreement with me here. I am all for encouraging my daughter to follow the passions and the giftings that God has given her, even if that includes, you know, being out in the public sphere and having a job and working. But at the same time, I have to live in the tension and actually audibly have conversations with her about you know, if God is calling you to work out in the workforce, please be also mindful that there might come a day where you will want to be a wife and a mother at home. And so I would never want you to get into, for instance, so much debt by chasing down this opportunity through college courses and incurring lots of debt that those doors would then be closed to you, the doors of being a wife and a mother at home. I have um, some women I'm, I can think of and point to that would love nothing more than to be a stay-at-home mom with their children at home, but they did incur so much debt in college that now that is kind of not a reality for them. It's it's not financially possible, at least without you know some real big godly intervention. They just have so much debt that they have to pay off that they cannot stay at home with their kids. I was always at home when I was raising my daughter. I did some part-time things, but I was always there. And I never, I don't ever remember saying, you don't want to be a mom or this isn't the path you want. She always wanted to be a, a mom, but I, we allowed her, my husband and I, to pursue her dream, you know, to, to do what she was going to do. And she had success in that. But then she got married and started having babies and that She's been able to do both because now she's in a season where she's homeschooling, she's homesteading, she's at home. She does the occasional performance or whatever here or there, but there is a way to do both. But I also think social media, really moms, they, they do tend to put that down, you know, to just say, oh, being a mom is so hard and this and that. I'm not, I don't know what they're saying to their girls. But for them, they're making it like it's this huge burden rather than an honor, a blessing, you know, to be able to have these children that God has given them to us specifically. I would say be be vigilant what social media you're listening to, because a lot of the not all of them, but many moms on there are not setting a good example of the joy of motherhood and what it what it could be, what it should be. Yes. And I think anytime a culture has disparaging words to say about motherhood, they leave just brokenness and ash in their wake. And I think that that's what we're seeing now today in our culture. We have belittled the job of motherhood and diminished it. This is something that we talked about actually at the live event and the fact that culture will champion so often All the jobs we do as women outside of the home, you know, organizing events, leading teams of people, even like making meals for people. If we're a chef or we work in the food service industry, culture will champion us in that. 
But heaven forbid we actually bring those skills and giftings into our homes and use them for the sake of our husband and our children. All of a sudden, the story changes and we are not championed. And it's actually perceived as like a misuse of our gifts or we're being, you know, held back or suddenly our our husbands, you know, have their thumb on us. It's just such a mixed message that our culture is giving to motherhood. And then that trickles down to our daughters who perhaps have aspirations of being wives and mothers. Looking to give your child a well-rounded education while ensuring positive socialization opportunities and their ability to succeed in life? Consider joining Classical Conversations community and homeschooling alongside local families. Led by a trained licensed director, families learn through Classical Conversations' proven Christ-centered curriculum together in a community. With locations in all 50 states and over 50 countries, there is bound to be a community near you. To find your community today, visit classicalconversations.com forward slash mom to mom. Most adults would never let a toddler play by a swimming pool unattended. And yet, every day, so many tweens and teens have unfettered access to smartphones. Why is that? If I were to guess, it's because as parents, we want to be able to get a hold of our kids and provide a way for them to get a hold of us. We see a smartphone as a way to keep them safe. Ironically, according to the most recent data from the National Library of Medicine, smartphones are actually doing the very opposite. Researchers have concluded that as culture continues to toss tweens and teens into the deep end of the internet with no life raft, the number of teens showing signs of depression has risen by 33% and teen suicides by 31%. What if I told you there was a way to keep in contact with your kids while also keeping them safe from the harmful effects of the internet? Well, there is. It's called the Gab Phone. With a Gab Phone, your kids can call, text, and take pictures, but the devices aren't connected to the internet in any way. Now, with a new Gab Plus, they can stream kids-safe music send images, and participate in group texts with additional options for parent-enabled apps, too. And yet, still no internet access. That means that you can send your tween or teen out the door to after-school jobs, sports practice, or youth group, and rest a bit easier knowing you can get a hold of them and they can get a hold of you. You can keep them both physically and emotionally safe. To learn more or to snag a Gab phone or watch for your tween or teen, head to gab.com and use promo code mom to mom at checkout. That's G A B B.com, promo code M O M T O M O M at checkout. Switching gears for just a second, how did you handle or are handling the dating and courting in your home? My daughter didn't really start any kind of dating till she was about 18 because she would have been so busy with other things in her life. There just wasn't that time and she didn't focus on it. We didn't actually require anyone to court her, you know, in the more formal way, but we knew everything about this boy. He wasn't going to not, you know, have a sit down with my husband that so this young man knew here's how it was going to be. Here's what he expected. It's not the man that she ended up marrying. And 
actually we're glad we didn't think he was the one for her from the beginning, but we wanted to let it play itself out. And she eventually came to that conclusion. So I think today, though, particularly, you have to be really careful because there are a lot of wolves in sheep's clothing out there and young men that might seem great on the surface. But I think it's important to know their walk with the Lord. Where do they stand on things? How are they behaving? Are they living out what they say? You know, are they are they actually living by Christian values? So it's very important to look at that today. That would probably be my number one thing I'd be looking at. What's their walk with the Lord? Where are they serving? What are they doing in ministry? How they're making their life a way to just serve others and be humble. So that would, I think now would really come first for us. It kind of reminds me of the adage, you know, don't look for the right person, be the right person. So uh, it sounds to me like you and Mike would be looking for, you know, how are you walking out your Christian faith in your everyday life apart from dating our daughter? How about you, September? How are you and Dan handling courting and dating? You, you've you already passed through those waters several times already, but I know you're still in the thick of it. Oh, the stories. The stories we have. Have we done an episode on this? I feel like this could be two episodes worth. It's just such a, a deep episode, but it's also fun. And it's also a very serious um, topic. But, you know, we have approached each of our kids differently. So I just want to say that I don't feel that it's fair to your kids to have a one-size-fits-all approach to courting and dating because we learned that the hard way and it is not a one-size-fits-all. Certainly, there's some fundamental foundational elements to the process, but there's different levels of maturity, different levels of trust, different levels of initiation. Like There's a lot of different things that take into consideration. And one of the things that, you know, just to be more lighthearted on this topic, and I can share a lot on this, but um, one of the things that is that my husband has specifically taken a lead role in um, intentional interaction in this process. So whereas normally I would have been the person to handle a lot of the different things going on in our home with teens and courtship or dating, you know, that age, that age group that my husband has taken. Now you may not, whoever's listening may not have. A husband who's willing to do that, you know, the thing is, or able, my husband grew into this role. It wasn't, you know, when I first, a child became a teenager or late teens or decided we didn't know what we were doing. Like he had to figure it out. And now we have six that have dated and moved on and we have four left. And the process itself is developing. And, but to be involved and have open communication is one of the top things I would recommend, like open communication from the beginning. Having a relationship of trust before your children start dating and open communication before you even get to the stage of life is my second top tip like approach. Like if you right now have younger middle aged kids, I would begin working and making sure you have good open communication and a good relationship of trust before you even get to this stage. Yeah, I I agree. And I love what you said about, you know, growing into that. Isn't that par for the course of every part of parenting? I could easily look at Kate in September and the outcome there and think, oh, well, what were the prescriptive steps that got them there? And really, it was it was longevity. It was time. It was experience and maybe taking two steps forward and one step back. I hate to give specifics because I think that does get very prescriptive. And as September said, every child, even within your own home, is going to be different and their needs will be different. 
the accountability will be different. The communication will be different. But just to kind of paint a more specific picture, I guess I can say that we have held to a loose guideline of you have to be 18 in our home to really consider serious dating, mostly because we think that until you get to that age, there isn't a whole lot that high school dating can lead to in good ways. And so we really welcome our kids to get to know, like if they have an interest in someone from the opposite sex, and and that is happening in our home even now with some of our teenagers, we invite them to invite this other person into our home. We welcome them to get together in groups with other people, mostly because we want them to practice the skills of interacting with the opposite sex in a upstanding way, you know, and we want we want them to be able to see how that person interacts and their personality and how their faith plays out in public spheres. But we never want to put them in a compromising position. They would not have personal accountability. And so we don't do one-on-one dates when they are in the teen years until they get to be about 18. And again, I hate putting a specific age limit on it because as September said, that's not always the best indicator. So we do a lot of group things. The other half of that is I never want my kids to think that an attraction to the opposite sex is bad or naughty. Um, That's actually God designed. It's God breathed in us that we would be attracted to someone of the opposite sex. And I actually think in this cultural moment, encouraging that is something we need more of in Christian circles, that we would affirm a healthy view of heterosexual attraction, all the while creating a greenhouse in our home, that there would be some safeguards and protections for our children to hold them to accountability, to holiness before God, to purity before God. And we actually did an episode, and I'll link it in the show notes, about having those big talks with our kids about sex and gender and, and holiness and purity. So I will be sure to link that in the notes. Well, ladies, how about encouraging your kids to tell the truth the first time? What are some ways that you can encourage them in that? I would say universally, when I think about kids telling the truth, the first thing that comes to my mind is fear. A lot of kids freeze in fear, and maybe not necessarily because they've had a reason to be afraid, but just the fear of telling the truth is a real thing. It's, It's something from the beginning of Adam and Eve in the garden, you know, the fear of getting caught, the fear of telling the truth, and they have to make a decision. And so I think that strengthening our children's conscience is one of the first things that we can do to encourage them to tell the truth. So they can be aware of what's going on in their mind, the struggle between right and wrong and what they're feeling and what they're thinking and then what to say. So I always like to tell my kids, I know you're feeling inside that You don't want to get caught. And I acknowledge what they're afraid of, you know, those things that they're fearing if they tell the truth. And then I lay out consequences, natural versus, you know, what could happen if you don't tell the truth? And then I just want to reward them for telling the truth and saying, this is the good and right thing to do. So those are the steps in our home. And I think in all areas, just recognizing the battle within first that helps them And then give them the tools to tell the truth so it doesn't become a fear-based decision. Yeah, I think it's, it's important to remember that Scripture says that God will always give us a way out. And as the parents in this sort of shepherding, discipling role, 
it's kind of on us in some ways to be able to provide that natural way out for our kids when we see, oh, there's a real solid temptation for them to lie here. If for no other reason than what September said, the fear of the consequences for telling the truth. So one thing my husband has always done is when he asks the question, especially when our kids were little, you know, did you do such and such or how did this happen or whatever? And we see that sort of like glossy eyed look of a child who's kind of trying to think up a lie or a way out. You know, he'll pause and he'll say, let me ask that again. And I want you to think really heavily about your answer. I'm giving you a chance to tell the truth. And like September, he goes through the consequences of, you know, lying in addition to whatever the consequence will be for having done the deed. Um, And that just provides a way out for them. I think, too, when we see that our children told the truth, even at the risk of the consequence, we need to really value and praise that. Because so often, it's not really the actual act or the, the naughtiness or the sin that is actually the biggest issue it really does become lying is the bigger issue. And so I want my kids to see that, you know, their character sometimes matters more. And and oftentimes the thing that they're in trouble for maybe was just like childhood, you know, silliness or ignorance or just the natural misbehavior of being a kid and acting childlike. Well, yes, there there are some natural consequences for childlike behaviors that lead to, you know, broken things or messed up situations, but don't add to that by also laying over a lie on top of it. So um, we always want to give them an out. We want to praise the truth and we want to make the consequence for lying, depending upon the circumstance, but often the consequence for lying is bigger and harsher than the consequence for the childlike misbehavior, if that makes sense. Kate, do you have anything to add to that? No, I think because our daughter was by herself, there was really nothing for her to lie about. I mean, if something happened, we knew it was her. You know, something crashes to the floor. We're going to know that it's her. She knew that we knew. So I think it might be a little different when they're kids. Like I see with my grandkids when there's something's going on and he hit me. No, she did it. I see that a lot and they have to you know, and I see my daughter and son-in-law figuring that out because they're still pretty little, most of their kids. So working that through when someone's not telling the truth and knowing that they're not telling the truth, but they're, they they tend to, because they're little, it's always, he did it. Oh, that wasn't me. He hit me when you saw them hit them. So it's that kind of thing. And Oh, I don't think that's a little thing. I, I think I remember Eve and Adam doing that same thing in the garden. We're always... Oh, that's true. We're always so tempted to point the finger at other people, aren't we? Yeah, I'm trying to point the finger, but Franny didn't really have that opportunity, so... All right, ladies, last question as we wrap up today. What would you tell your younger self if you could, you know, hop in Doc Brown's DeLorean and go all the way back to the youngest version of the Mother Kate and Mother September, what would you tell her? You know, there's a lot of things I would tell myself to do differently. But if I had to go back and just tell my younger self, a younger mom version, is that September, you have no idea how amazing what is to come will be. You just hang in there. It is just so worth it. It it makes me emotional even to say those words because I even have to tell myself that today. And I just look around and think, 
if I had only known, I would not have felt X, Y, Z or experience. It's just so worth it. And um, putting in the work and the perseverance is just, it's just worth it. Yeah, that's good. I, I guess I would, if I had the chance, I would go back to, let's see, I had Maddie when I was 24. I'd go back to 24-year-old Jamie and say, chase the fun. I would say that again and again and again. If given the opportunity, put on the bathing suit. Don't worry about the picture. You know, take her to the park when the dishes are still in the sink. It's not as if I am encouraging myself to, you know, slough off responsibilities and be um, slothful. But I know I put a lot of pressure on myself to, you know, do all the right things in the right order. And I missed opportunities that I know I'll never get back because the fun seemed like extra. And I would tell the 24-year-old Jamie, the fun is the thing in motherhood. Yeah, because there will be a time when they're they're teenagers and they don't always want to go in the pool with you and they don't always want to ride that ride with you or watch that movie with you. So while they're little and they still have the stars in their eyes when they look at you, man, chase the fun because it won't last for very much longer. How about you, Kate? Anything? I think that's great advice. I, I, I was an older mom. When I had my daughter, I was 30, 30 or 31. So, and again, I, I was not raised as a Christian. I was a brand new Christian during that time. So, gosh, I think you're right. Chase the fun. Just don't take it as, as such a heavy responsibility. It is, but just try to see, try to just enjoy each day, enjoy each moment. And as they're growing up, just celebrate that, celebrate the different stages that they're in. So I think those might be a couple things I would add. Yeah. And I think it sounds so cliche for us who are sort of at the end of it to say, stay in the moment. But I think, I think young moms are so apt to want to do all the right things and to be vigilant and to you know, check all the boxes. Those are things that come naturally to mothers. That desire comes naturally to us. So I think it's apt that we remind ourselves to chase the fun because that doesn't always come as easy. It's not always the easy thing to grab for. And I think one more thing, Jamie, again, social media, we can see these moms and man, everything looks perfect and how they're doing it. And their home is so neat and clean. You know, we, we see that and take that as our model, forgetting that everything they're putting on there is curated well, for the most part. There's some moms that show the truth, which is great too, to, to not let the mess and the chores and all that be the thing that dominates. But like you said, enjoying the fun, you can leave the dishes in the sink. They'll still be there. As I always used to say, dirt keeps, you know, it's going to be there whether you, whether you clean it up or not. And it, you, of course, you have to focus on that too in your home, but just not worrying so much about that, about everything being perfect. There are no perfect moms, no perfect families. So kind of letting go of that stress and just don't let social media be your guide. Well, ladies, we barely scratched the surface of the mound of questions that we were handed at our live Q&A. I think we'll just have to tackle the rest of these in an upcoming episode. Would you agree? I definitely agree. Thank you so much for joining us. We're winding down season five of the show. And in the process, we're planning season six. So if these or any other topics have piqued your interest and you'd like to hear more, please feel free to shoot us a message on Instagram or Facebook and let us know what topics you'd like for us to discuss in our next season. For now, thanks for listening.